Okay, today we're talking out of chapter 44, and we're going to move on to that chapter. I have a handout now. This should be in your mailboxes of, of another article on Christian nationalism as a threat to the American way of life. That's big in the news. I don't know what news source you follow. You, it's easier to follow on the Internet because there's always articles on there. So if you get on the Internet and you have a good news source or news page that has the world news on it, you can kind of stay abreast of world affairs and what's going on. And that's one thing you need to keep an eye out on, this Christian nationalism. Uh, being forgiven is what I'm pulling from this verse. comes toward the or the, really toward the end of the verse or the middle of the verse, but it says, plus the first part. We can say also the first few verses. It says, Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel whom I have chosen, thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou Jeshurun whom I have chosen. We see there where he calls him by a different name that we hadn't heard that name too much. Jeshurun, what he's calling Israel there. But he says, For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thine seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. So there, you hear and again, is a promise of God to bless our children, our offspring or whatever. So that's what I was saying yesterday. All we can do is witness and do what we're supposed to be doing so far as God doing it in his own time. That's up to God. We've made the declaration of the witness in which we should or supposed to have it made. And he's going to bring about in his time pouring out upon us of that, what he said, the spirit there. We're going to come back later on in this another teaching and talk about that water poured out as a spirit and they shall spring up as among the grass as willows by the water course one shall say I am the Lord's and another shall call himself by the name of Jacob and another shall subscribe with his hand upon the Lord and name himself by the name of Israel thus saith the Lord the king of Israel and his redeemer the Lord of hosts I am the first and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Who shall as, who as I shall call and shall declare it and set in order for me since I appointed ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show unto thee. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time and have I not declared it? Ye are my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yes, there is no God. I say not any. Here we hear again of the refrain that we studied out of the last chapter, and it gives us another chance, this chapter, to study the word witness, as he's used the word witness in this context. Plus we hear again, fear not, telling us not to be afraid, and the fear not. Uh but as we go along what I'm getting to and it continues on you can read that whole chapter hopefully you're studying that chapter at home this next month this whole month we should 
maybe a month to go through it. The verse I'm going for today is I have blotted out, verse 22, I have blotted out as a thick cloud thine transgression and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. There the Lord is forgiving of our sins. Even though we sinned and transgressed against him, and Israel had sinned and transgressed against him, and he was telling them that he had forgiven their sins, he was forgiving their sins, and that he would remember them no more. So here what happens is, we're talking about forgiveness and being like God. He freely forgave. It's not that they earned forgiveness or whatever. And that's something we have to do is be more like God, a forgiving person. Uh, Now, let's not confuse forgiving with forgetting. Forgiving and forgetting is sometimes it may be dangerous or whatever. You may forgive someone for doing you something, a transgression but it's pretty hard to forget it. Someone does something and something happens. A lot of times if you, you've, they're forgiven, but it's as a human, uh, our mind, our capacity, the way we are made, it's hard to forget. And sometimes it would hinder the learning process if we forgot because then, you know, if you don't remember that fire was hot, you repeat that same process over again. Uh, you don't remember some of the things you've done. Uh, uh, you, if you don't remember history, you remember what happened. you destined to repeat those things. So memory is good. Having a memory is good. But God says he forgives our sins. Now, that's, like I said, that's how we should be like God. We're going to look at chapter second, the second chapter. Oh, I'm getting tied up today. We're looking at Second Samuel, the twelfth chapter and the thirteenth verse, which will the sermon may come from that this weekend that I've started to put together. And it says, And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord had had put away thine sin, and thou shalt not die. We see there where David had sinned against God. You remember he, he, he talked about that sin in the book of Psalms with Bathsheba. He said, I've sinned against you and you only. But God forgave him that sin. Now, a lot of times people think when forgiveness comes, there's no consequences. But we see that there were consequences to David sinning against God, even though God forgave the sin. Forgiveness doesn't mean a forgetting of the, uh, the consequences that proceed of what happened to bring that sin about. Uh, Psalm 78 and 38 says, But he, speaking of God, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he, he his anger away and did not stir up all of his wrath. It's good if we can be like God. It's hard to be that way without being born again of the Spirit. And we hear, we see, and that's what I say. It's not to the intellectual because a lot of us come to church and we hear these things. We know what the Word of God says, but we can't do them. Somebody say something to us or whatever. We're not going to forgive them. Or we're not going to forget it. We're not going to be merciful sometimes. we just going to launch out. We're going to be ourselves. 
it's only the spirit that can bring us into being like God, the being made in his image for that regeneration to start. There are a lot of people practice human kindness, but that human kindness goes only so far, and you can push them and push them and then get on that last nerve, whereas in Christianity, it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be in you at all. That's why when Peter asked the Lord, he says, how many times shall I forgive my brother? That's something against me. He says, seven times? He says, no, 70 times 70. This should be a part of who we are. We have to develop that nature. We have to, it takes other things to develop a, a forgiving nature. It takes being merciful, but all of these comes along as the Spirit works in us to produce fruit in our lives. It takes patience. It takes all of these to be as to be compassion. It says Jesus healed them because of his compassion of what he felt for the people. So we can go to church and hear a lot of things or whatever, and we can emulate those things. But it's only if the spirit in us can it cause it to be part of our nature, whereas that we desire to please God and out of a hunger and a thirst, that work that I was telling you about, putting thyself to death, putting to death to old man, those the sinful pleasure of not forgiving, of caring, of grudge, of being bitter, all that's human and in fleshly and it's carnal. Other people are caused that to help be embedded in you and you have to get away from around them kind of people because it's hard enough to do it by yourself without others encouraging. I wouldn't let him off with that. I'd show him, a, a, in, in other words, this is not dead in a cocoon. God keeps us in the world, but we should exercise and overcome by the word of God. His blood cleanses us and washes away. That's where the word remission comes in. When he says, this is the blood, uh, I think it's in Matthew, if I can get there right quick, without uh, remission of sin has to go through God. Even though we we remit the person's sin, only God can cleanse us from sin. So the removal of sin, the removal of sin comes from God. So, by the torture and the stuff that David went through, God had forgave him the sin. But notice he says, the sword will never leave your house. But that would be there. There's sometimes the consequences. So we have to be in the Word of God. We are washed or cleansed by the Word of God. So a removal of the sin is what we're looking for. Because just forgiveness alone only forgives the act, but it doesn't change the individual. That's why some people go into jail and spend years in jail or uh, do things, but they come back and that doesn't reform them. That doesn't change them. It takes the Spirit of God to change them. They come back and do something else, uh, uh, do another act. Matthew 26, chapter 28, verse, he says, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. That's why we have to be in the blood, uh, under the blood, covered by the the blood of Jesus Christ for the removal of sin. It removes that nature. It removes the workings 
of where that sin is germinating in. It's trying to be like the person that cleaned up their house and without putting something else in, seven spirits worse than the ones that you evicted come in to dwell there. Life abhors a vacuum. So as you putting evil, as you put wickedness out your life, sometimes you put one friend out of your life that's bad, well, you better watch it. A worse friend may come in your life. Something worse may happen. That's why Jesus told the woman caught in adultery, he says, go and sin no more. Well, he had forgave her for the act of committing adultery. But he says, sin no more, lest a worse thing happen to you. So, or that didn't eradicate her sin nature. Our sin nature, we have to be eradicated. The regeneration has to occur to where we have a different mind, a mind that doesn't foster us sitting or having a new mind or transform that that doesn't come into our being and we bring every thought captive to the obedience of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ when those thoughts, when all that stuff come in, they don't find a place to germinate. May talk to yourself. That's why if you love your enemies, if you love those that despitefully use you and persecute you and say all men, then it's hard for Satan to get a grip. That's why it says if you give him an inch, if you be mad overnight, it says let not the sun go down on you because then you will sit down and dwell on how to get that person back and what you should do in thinking about it. Don't let that stuff find a place in you and then somebody that's coming in trying to germinate that a cause a stir it up say well look let's talk about something else let's not com- murmur or complain that's why I said don't go speaking evil of people or people that is bad company that are not spiritual will hinder your spiritual progress and we have to see all of the the, the tendons of this vine that runs through the roots that could be absorbed in our lines and cause us not to follow what the Lord is telling us. We have to be like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The book of Psalms, the 85th chapter, and the second verse says, Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thine people. Thou hast covered all their sin. And it says that he who covered sin, if you cover up, a, 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 if you excuse or wash, trying to help people, in other words, then God... Co- I'm going off on Sorry, I was about to get off on an unadvised rabbit trail there, but let me continue on with what I'm doing here. Mark, the second chapter, it says in the fifth verse, When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of Posse, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now you remember, these were the people that were breaking through the roof with their friend that was on the bed, and Jesus seen their work of faith he seen the people working and he forgave sin. The Pharisees was there and he says, who's this man that forgiveth sin? Only God can forgive sin. Now, in the sense of what they said was right, but it was that Jesus was God. He was able to forgive sin. But it, it was more to the healing of the miracle 
than what they could understand uh, that what brought about is that Jesus was forgiving the sin of that individual and by his declaration he declared it and that's why where it comes from as we witnesses in the earth as we speak the word of God if God consents and works in that word either it grows or either the person is brought further into darkness of uh, uh, darkness of, of wherever or whatever God's will deems happen but we have to speak this forth because God doesn't have a mouth we have to be God's mouth so he designated prayer he says whatever you need ask the father in my name and he'll give it to you so a lot of people say well you don't have to pray forgive for forgiveness because Jesus died for our forgiveness truly he did but we have to get in a position where that is declared, where God puts that to our account. So when we pray to God, we're asking Him for all our needs or whatever because that's the designated way that Jesus declared that we get the things that we ask for is through prayer. So we need to have a prayer life in which we shouldn't be afraid to ask God of stuff. Now, we shouldn't ask amiss of things to consume upon our own lust, but things concerning the kingdom of God and that of establishing of his Father, he says, ask the Father and he will do it. First John says, we have the petition that we ask of him because we keep his commandment. So if it's in line with God, with God's will, he'll grant that petition that we ask him, and that's the way we receive from him. So for is healing and touching and all these things. All that's part of the word of God. So if he declared, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. But only God in his all-knowing all omnificence know which ones that didn't know what they do, were doing and which ones were sons of the devil that did know. That's like what Joseph told his brother, say, y'all meant it for evil, God meant it for good. So they out of an evil mind, it was their intentions and motivations to hurt him to the most, but he had forgave them, he had forgiven them or whatever. So whatever they said, it couldn't hinder the word or the will of God. So we have to declare things, so Jesus declared this, that whatever... Jesus declared, that's why he only declared that which was the will of God. That's what we should do, declare the will of God. As you read yesterday, prophesy. In other words, speak the word of God. God brings his word to pass, and we have to realize that it's God bringing this to pass and not us. So we're told to remit other sins back unto them. Who sins you remit shall be remitted back unto them. So we don't go around carrying that sin. We as much as a prisoner as they are, if we don't forgive them, then a root of bitterness starts to uh, come in to us. Resentment starts to come in. All kinds of things germinate in that soil of not being forgiven. Colossians 2.13 says, And you being dead in your sins in the uncircumcision of your flesh, had he quickened together with him having forgiven you all your trespasses. 
So we were dead in sin. We were dead in our sins and the uncircumcision of our flesh. He came in in this new covenant. He circumcised our heart. He gave us a new heart, a heart to believe. He regenerated us. We were born again. Now that he has that circumcision in us, that new circumcision, he quickens us. He makes us alive. He That's justification. He justified us. He pardoned our sin. He removed that sin. You remember? The removal through the blood, that shed blood, the removal of that sin, of our sin. That's what is blood. Now what we don't understand is a lot of times, a lot of times, we focus on the death of Jesus Christ, His shed blood, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we don't look enough at the life of Jesus Christ, what He lived, how He lived. That's very important because the re- it's because we should live as He lived. If, if He had quickened us and made us alive in Him, and if we're dead, now buried with Christ, it is Him that liveth in us. We have to do the works that He did, uh, replicate those works. We have to do, as Micah said, we ought to do good works. We ought to love mercy and justice, do what is right now. See, because He's cleaned, cleansed the slate. If He blotted out our right, our sins against us, now He's making us in righteousness. We should go forth in righteousness and establish that he on earth through faith. Faith in him, faith in his word. Forgiveness and healing, we'll talk about it another time because like I was saying, that goes along with the man of positive being healed because sometimes it takes the faith of the other person to be healed. That's why in his own hometown it says Jesus worked no miracles in his hometown because of their lack of faith. He couldn't work many miracles. He, the woman that was pressing through the crowd and touched him, he says, your faith has made you whole. See, faith in him, that faith that was delivered unto the saints, the faith in his word. So we'll talk about forgiveness and healing because sometimes not having a forgiving spirit hinders our healing. We can't be made whole. He says we'll be by his stripes we were made whole. We will heal by his stripes. But we're not suffering from those stripes if we're unforgiving. If, we, if we're unforgiving of other people, if we uh, have an unforgiving spirit, it hinders us in other areas that we don't know. That's why I say we have to stop focusing on just one area and realize that everything goes in this cake that we're baking. This character that he's making of us, everything goes into that. So if you're not of a forgiving spirit, one that forgives people that are, do, do you wrong, you can't be of the mind just how many times before I can tell him all. Seventy times seven, Peter. So you just want to stop counting. You just want to handle this a different way. You should forgive those who trespass against you. You should forgive those who despitefully use you. You should pray for me. In other words, this forgiveness causes us to develop mercy. This forgiveness causes us to develop compassion. Forgiveness is not sufficient for salvation. Forgiveness is not uh, 
sufficient for salvation. Although it was it would be rare to find it officially stated, there's an understated and understood idea in Protestantism that Jesus Christ's death is more important than his life, either before or after his crucifixion. So we're not focusing on the right thing. That's what I said. We have to broaden our understanding of what's happening here or what's going on. It wasn't just the death, but it was the life. Protestant theologians focused on Christ's death because of what it accomplished, that is, forgiveness of sin and justification. And that's great. That's great. That That's wonderful. But let's incorporate some, some other things into that. By taking this one event out of context and allowing it to overshadow both his earthly ministry and his service to us now as high priest, mediator, and intercessor, the result is a great deal of intellectual disagreement and a very little truth by belief. In other words, yesterday I was talking about Martin Luther was saying, by faith alone, salvation, but the Bible doesn't say that. We're saved, but it doesn't say by faith alone because what happens, there's different types of faith that are mentioned in the Bible. There's different types of faith. That's why James, in which Martin Luther called it a straw epistle or whatever, that's where he made his mistake at. Because James said, do a man say he have faith? He says, but I'll show you my faith by my works because faith has works. And any faith that doesn't have works is a dead faith. So we must look at it. Is our faith generating a hunger toward God, giving us a zeal for works, causing us to do more for the Lord? Can we do more for God? Our faith, is it increasing? That's what I said. We have to have a faith that increases. Went to the heart doctor the other day, and I was asking him, what should I do or what more can I do? And he says, you need to be more active than what you're doing, what you are. A lot of us hang up to, you were talking about one of your work people the other day that is sick. What happens is, ain't nothing wrong and it's a good thing, it's a blessing to get old. But as you get old, don't stop. You still need to do some sort of work. You still need to be busy. It was an article. I didn't bring it. But they, uh, one article was saying, looks like 90 is the new 40. Have you noticed that people in their 70s and 80s, that's when they're doing a lot of work or whatever? I have a Mr. Parker that comes by here or whatever. He's constantly doing yards or whatever. And he's, what, 82, 83 or something like that? Yes. It's just that you have to learn how to work, the how to slow down. But you must be, you see the faith by those things. So we have to watch people when they take a doctrine and make it just, uh, it's like Christian nationalism. They think that when Jesus Christ died and he said he died for us, 
that now they are the chosen people or that you're chosen people. But notice that God does punish or chasten his children. And if you're a rebellious child, sometimes it can end up in an early dismissal. Living by faith in God's grace. And I told you, we understand that we, by God's grace, we're saved. We're saved by grace. But it's true faith. Romans 5, 8 through 10. It says, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood. Remember I told you, the blood is what justified us. His shed blood. You remember Matthew, his blood was shed for the remission of sins. Yes. So he had placed us in right standing with God. We've been justified if we're covered by that blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. How we're, how we're saved from wrath? Through Jesus Christ. Faith in him. But it's not by forgiveness of sin. So you could have your sins forgiven, but what does that do for you? That doesn't make you born again. You will sin again. There's no man that sinned not. It's a, he said, you remember the other day I was telling you about uh, the cities that he pronounced a curse on says because it would be better for the Sodom and Gomorrah than it would be for those cities in which he did his great signs and wonders. The, the woman that was caught in adultery says, go and sin no more unless a greater thing happen unto you. So that's what happened to this nation. People get in the church and think that they are fireproof. They think that God can't get to them now. But that's people that didn't love God in the beginning. They were just looking for a resting place. Let's continue. He says, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. That's how we were saved, by his life. He said Job was a perfect and upright man, right? So if God wasn't holding his sins against him, he still couldn't die for us because he wasn't a sinless sacrifice. You see, so that's where I said the life of Jesus Christ comes in. He came to save us from our sin. That means we can't continue in sin that grace should abound. We, can, we have to start overcoming being much stronger than what we are and what's going on. That's why the world, it, this thing is cooking now. The pot's on the stove. We see this thing cooking, and those of us that don't see it cooking and don't think of not wanting to be in church more and more, I hear the word preached and taught more and more, be, I, I, I'm kind of weary of them. As wonderful a gift as God's merciful forgiveness is, merely being forgiven through Christ's blood is not sufficient for salvation. Justification must be seen for what it truly is. It is essential, but it is only the beginning of the salvation process. Remember I told you, it places you right in right standing with God, but now you got to walk down that road. Now you got to travel through this earth. Can't go hide in a monastery or whatever. 
This is a beginning process. Salvation is a process. And in that process, there's a lot of things that comes into that process to help us to be overcomers and to shape our character. Throughout the process, we are saved by the continuous flow of grace upon grace. From who? From Christ our high priest. Looking unto him, he gives greater grace. In all situations, we have to keep humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God to be overcomers and that he'll give us greater grace to achieve our our purpose. A willingness to forgive, a willingness to forgive. Matthew 18, the 23rd to the 35th verse is about the unforgiving servant. Remember the one that the king had forgiven all of his sins, but he went out and found somebody that owed more, I mean, owed him less than what he owed the king. He owed a debt that he couldn't pay back. That That's the parable Jesus uses to drive this point home that I've been keep going over in Matthew 18, Matthew 18 and 21, in which what Peter asked, uh, Lord, uh, then Peter said to him, Lord, how shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times seven? What Jesus drove that, used that parable to drive that point home about forgiving and being unforgiving, the importance of being forgiven. He used a parable of the unforgiving servant. The story of that relates how a king settling accounts with servant finds one that owes him 10,000 talents. In today's lingo, that was back in 18 or 1700, it was like $15.8 million. What today that would be like if that guy owed him $50 million. Mm-hmm. If that guy owed him $50 million. Christ's point, of course, is that no one could ever repay that huge uh, account. You hear the people that complaining about the energy bill and it's too high to pay it. They need some kind of relief or whatever. And that's what we say about the oppressors. They don't realize the oppression that comes and that's going on in this nation. We're being extremely oppressed, but God has to deal with that. What we have to do is without murmuring and complaining, is to keep on going on and fulfill our role. We know that his justice will be done. His justice will be done in the earth. That's what we're looking at. Justice comes. Spiritually, we owe him much far more than we can ever repay. And, you know, somebody saved your life and then bless you after saving your life. You can't repay that debt. I, I can't. I know I can't. That's one of the reasons I strive so, so hard. I want to continue on doing for God, even though sometimes I feel hopeless in it. I feel not hopeless. I feel maybe helpless. Uh, I feel I'm not doing what I should be doing. And sometimes the devil comes in and showing me different things that others have or different things and trying to make me feel different ways. But I know that without God, what it would be. So I owe him a debt that I couldn't repay. That's go- I think I have it in here about the woman that that was one of the reasons the one that was 
washing his feet with a, with the alabaster oil. And see, because we know those of us that are truly saved and are truly filled the forgiveness of God, we feel his as his bond servants in that we can't do enough for him. We can't physically do enough for him or spiritually. Normally the servant would be cast into prison and his family was sold into slavery until all was paid. It says, but when the servant entreated the king to have mercy on him, the king, moved with compassion, forgave the entire debt. That's what I say. If we're not merciful, and sometimes people say, throw yourself on the mercy of the court. That's why we have the injustice in the nation we have in the in the nation. That's why we have injustice throughout and that the world is collapsing because people are not merciful. That's part of the signs of end time, of the characteristics that we read is one of the signs is lacking mercy, that they are not merciful. It's a many of people that are not merciful people. The forgiven servant then found one who owed him a hundred denarii, about fifteen dollars. That's <laughs> what this guy owed him. But he wanted to choke this guy and kill him, or throw him in the debtor's prison until he'd be repaid. That's how we are. And that's how we we're not replicating Jesus Christ. He forgave us, and while we were yet sinners, He died for us and put us in right standing. Well, look how we deal with one another. Look how we're dealing with one another in life. That is, Christians and unbelievers. It's no variation here. It's how we deal with everybody. Are we dealing with people as Christ dealt with people, as we should do if we're servants of Christ? The king's other servants heard of this and told him, and we re- remember the results of that, what happened. We can learn from this parable of the unforgiving servant that our sins are very great. And until we start seeing the magnitude of our sins and that we are worms and that we are insignificant, the less we'll do for God, we'll be like the lay of the sin. We don't see our sin and we have no need of forgiveness. A person that feels they hadn't been forgiven much is going to love less, of the work less. Because that's the worst thing to have that people that think that they're all right, they, they're not bad as the other guy, that they're not as bad as that prostitute or that drug addict or that murderer or that thief. See, the problem is we're not, there was an article in the, Newspaper, well, it was online again the other day. In a way, I agree with it in understanding, but we in our own communities have to fight this. McDonald's and a lot of other companies are pulling out of some areas. They're closing restaurants in some areas. And it's all different factors involved, but one of them is crime. Here's someone working at a minimum wage job, a fast food job. You come up through the drive-thru window, come in and rob him or kill him or shoot him for not doing your burger right or something. It's just the way things are, and these people are paid minimum wage to take these things. Wouldn't you close down? That's why the job market is the way it is, because of crime. 
But see, we have so much going on, and without us being merciful or read, it's just like, that's why I say it's just like being unforgiven. You don't realize the number of factors that are involved in why these things are happening unto you. Uh, God abundantly forgives. Offenses committed against us are comparatively small. Things people do to us. Uh, Brother Park, I was telling you about him. A lot of times when he said, you know, like we'd be talking about people breaking in and stealing your stuff and somebody stole the stuff off his truck and out of his yard and he said, well, they come borrow this and they said that, that. Well, see, he, he's a person that's not of a wicked uh, accusatory thing, but he see, he's a person that leaves things in the hand of God. That's comparatively small. You remember I was telling you about the young man that had stole my pruning saw out of my shed and I saw him and was running after him but I said well you know you just have to keep that you know I'd call the police or whatever reported the incident or whatever but I'm not one that would have shot him for that me and my uh, uncle was talking about that my uncle Milton well it's really Patricia's uncle but he's being him closer than her (laughs) but anyhow we were talking he was talking about this guy that stole some stuff from him and he had his gun or whatever, and the guy was toward the end of the road, and he hollered at the guy, and the guy seen him. He said, put it down and put it back. He said, but the reason, he said, and he don't know if the guy knew, but he couldn't shoot somebody over that. But we have different people. It would be legal to do certain things or whatever, but are you of that mindset or whatever? That's why we pray that God's kingdom come so that we won't be put or we won't have to. That's why I say it's a dangerous world we live in. So it's better to forgive him when he stole that. And I see the guy all the time or whatever. So I had I, I can't put it out of my mind and forget about it. My neighbor had told him because he'd be at my neighbor's house washing his car and doing those petty things. You know, he's on drugs, so he'll do anything for, you know, at a cheap price or whatever. But I don't have him doing anything or work for me or whatever. One neighbor won't let it work for him. But the other neighbor down the street, he works for, you know, he'll wash his car for $5 or something like that. But, you know, it's cheap labor to him. But he told him and said, well, you ought to apologize to that guy for, you know, breaking into his shed thing. But, you know, a lot of break-ins he's done. But I have forgave him. And I came to the church and I prayed at home and I prayed here. I have forgiven him. I wouldn't bring it up for the world. I can't forget it. But I forgave him. I put that in God's hand. I can't carry that around with me. It's too heavy. It's too heavy for me to carry. It would change me. We should abundantly forgive as our master does. If we do not, God will be justly angry and punish us just like he was mad at that servant, that master called him in and said, you wicked and evil servant, I forgave you all of that debt, and you pulled something like this. It wasn't good for the rest of the people to see after his master. The people say, didn't, his master, didn't the master forgive him of all that debt, and he going to do somebody else this way that owe him? They had to report that. It was just like Joseph was. His brothers didn't like him, and he 
told, you remember they said he brought an evil report? Well, Joseph was a witness. His father had asked him of these things, or to lie or to be silent. A witness can't be silent. If you know something, you must say something. So if his brothers wasn't doing right, and he was a witness, his father asked him, he had to tell him. The Bible says an evil report. The reason a report, the reason a report was evil, is because they was evil. They was doing evil. So, a witness has to be reliable. He has to be truthful. So, we should forgive others, and we should be looking at other people's lives in the Bible, and not just count on one. All of this should flash through our minds. Everything in the Bible has to be become part of us. That's how we assimilate the word. He says, if we do not, God will be justly angry, angry and punish us. We have nothing to pay toward our indebtedness to him. Therefore, God's forgiveness of our sins is nothing less than a gift, one that rests on the foundations of the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's why he did it, because of what Jesus did. Nothing we could do or contributed to why God forgives us. Uh, because Christ died to pay the penalty for sin, God can wipe clean the record of our spiritual indebtedness and establish a relationship with us. That's why he says he's the one that had redeemed us. How did he redeem us? By the blood of the Lamb. We were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus Christ paid the ransom price. He paid so that we couldn't be reconciled to God. So that's why when David sinned, and I told you, look at Psalm 41. He said, against you and you only have I sinned. Sin is against God. Transgression is against God. It's not man. It's against God. He says, I've sinned against God. You remember earlier I was saying that we make the declaration? And I told you uh, that God has to grant the change. Now David had went with Uriah's wife and he killed Uriah. Look at this. Abimelech and Pharaoh had wives. They also took Sarah in to be their wife. God wouldn't allow them to sin against him and that would mess his plan up with Sarah's purity. That comes in another teaching. I want to get out on that rabbit trail. But he showed that God talked to these men and says, that's his wife. So they wasn't allowed to commit these sins. That David, God says, now David, I don't have to penalize you for that sin. Wouldn't he have had to penalize Abimelech and Pharaoh? Didn't they say, we were innocent. We didn't know that was his wife. He lied and said that was his sister. You see, God is the one that, see, because we don't know all the details involved. That's why we be forgiving. So if we forgive, they got to account with God. God's going to pay you back. He says, vengeance is mine. I'll repay so what you've done to me, I've forgiven you. Jesus Christ says, Father, forgive them because what he was remitting their sins back unto them. But believe me, nobody's getting off with anything. 
And just because Jesus has pardoned us, that requires a whole lot of other teaching and study. That's why we have to be in the Word. He say, if you are my disciples, continue in my Word. But so many people don't know and understand these things. We desire others, especially God, to be patient and forgiving toward us at our fault. Don't we always pray to God that, you know, just be patient, I'm coming along. I wasn't what I used to be. I'm getting better. But we don't be patient with others, do we? We want to tear somebody's throat out. They do us something. We're not patient and forgiving and say, well, okay, well, you know, you've wronged me or whatever. Sometimes you could go to your brother. Sometimes you could just pray about it. But we're so touchy-feely. Society has us to where you do me anything and I'm going to tear your throat out. We will do this and you said this about me or this wasn't right. But we do not practice the same attitude and conduct conduct toward others who has faults. And like I tell a lot of people, I have many of faults that please forgive me. Sometimes I have to go to my wife, I'm sorry I said this, I'm sorry I did that. Uh, I don't want to belinger the time here. Remind me to tell y'all about my doctor come this Wednesday or Saturday. Uh, Patience is a two-way street, and God clearly demands reciprocity. In other words, do unto others as you have others do unto you. He expects us to be patient in his patience and forgiveness toward us and to others, even as Christ does. The disciples' prayer, and I'm going to close with the disciples' prayer. Matthew six twelve through 15 says, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into no temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Is that what it says? One of them in Luke, I think, says, Forgive us of our transgression as we forgive those who transgress against others. It says, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. See what our unforgiving spirit do? You see what it is that happens? That's why your life's so messed up. Now, it might not happen at that minute, but way down the road, something happens, and you're not realizing way over here that you wasn't forgiving. That's why you have to keep short accounts with God. That's why your prayer at night should be a review of what happened that day, and you pray to God and those things come before you. You develop a tender conscience and say, God, find forgiveness for those things. Find repentance. Repentance is daily. A daily dying of self. A daily turning from sin. That's why I say remind me to tell you about my doctor because that's something that I, I have to repent of. I have to turn. The heartlessness of the forgiven man along with his other dis- disregard of the obligation to emulate the gracious king is safe, is, is sin. And that's what we have. We It tells us in 2 Timothy, uh, I think it is 3.1, that these are the perilous times. These are the times that's coming. And we just don't know how much it rubs off on us, uh, the people that we hang with, and how much we emulating what they're doing and not emulating what Christ says. 
This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affections, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof as such turn away. That just describes some of the things that's going to be in Christian nationalism. Christian nation, and they say America's a Christian nation, but you live within this nation, don't you see that it's really not a Christian nation? That it's a nation full of hypocrisy, it's a nation that's full of a whole lot of things. I thank God for living in this nation, and I wouldn't want to live in no other nation in the world, I don't think. I think this is the best nation in the world that God could have put me in. And just like the Babylonians, when he sent the, his people to Babylon, he told them to pray for the peace of Babylon. But a lot of them got to Babylon and got so connected and so blessed or whatever that they adopted Babylon and wouldn't go back to, to, to Israel when he told them to go back to come out of Babylon. We can't get so hooked up with the United States of this world that we don't come out of the world. We can't not testify. He says, I testify of the world. That's why the world hated me and it's going to hate you if you testify of the world. The church, Christian nationalism, punishes people for not testifying of their leaders and their people and not doing what they want to do. Because what religion leads Christian nationalism? Do the Protestants lead it? The Catholics lead it? The Methodists? Baptists? They all get together and say they just won, but now you got a whole bunch of soup pile of, of different beliefs, different doctrines. So that's what happens in Christian nationalism. I don't want to pray with you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. Now I pray for the nation and I pray all the time. But I'm praying in a godly manner. You're going to confess your sin to the Pope or the priest or the Father or whatever. You understand what I'm saying? We have to realize what's going on and this forgiveness in these hard-hearted people that we're dealing with. Since God has forgiven us so much, we ought to forgive each other of anything, large or small. Grace bestowed puts the receiver under the obligation to manifest that same grace to us. If he gave us his grace, we should be gracious to others. <coughs> freely he gave. Didn't he give it to us freely? We should give it to others free. Oh no, but you got to pay for this with me. Some people hold that, that you have to pay for what you do for them. But we should have this freely. We should give it away freely. That's how we received it, with open hand. Even though a person receives forgiveness, it does not guarantee that he would be a better person as this deceived world generally believes today as seen in how ineffective leniency of murders and rapists are. 
How many people that they let out of jail and they hadn't been out of jail three months and they go back and kill somebody else? Yes. This guy just killed this woman on this live streaming thing and he hadn't been out of jail two months, I don't believe. So that doesn't work. So that's why I say the world doesn't work and the world, the things of the world doesn't work. So we, we're not looking in the world, we're looking unto Jesus Christ. The desire for forgiveness, Luke 7, 36-38. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And when he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet, and behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, which when she knew that Jesus sat at meet in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, this episode demonstrates a contrast between two attitudes of mind. Now, Wednesday, I'm opening this up since we had two more minutes, but Wednesday I want to talk about different attitudes of mind, an attitude of forgiveness. You have to have an attitude of mind. Look at the two people here. Simon conscious of no need, had neither had neither love nor Christ nor desire for forgiveness. That's the Pharisee. That's the Laodicean. They don't... He just invited Jesus over. He a big wig and he want a big wig at his house. He want to show off or what. He's, he don't have a need. You, you didn't met people that really don't seem to they, they have a need for forgiveness, that they hadn't done anything. His impression of himself was that he was a good man in the sight of God and men. Now the woman, on the other hand, seems aware of nothing except of her sinfulness and her great need for forgiveness. You might say you got to start seeing yourself as a sinner, insignificant, that you need God, that you need Him in your life, and that you want Him to restore you to wholeness. Well, this resulted in mournful, mournful weeping over her destitution and love for the one who could feel her needs. I guess that's in the Beatitudes is why he said, blessed are those that mourn. Yes. It is better to be in the house of mourning. Perhaps uh, nothing shuts off us from God more firmly than human self-sufficiency. And that's in Revelation 3, 7, I told you about the Laodicea that said, you say I'm rich with everything I want and I don't have need of thing. And you don't realize that spiritually you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. It is a strange phenomenon that more clearly we see our lives, we see our sins better than the person we are. It's a strange phenomenon that the better we see our sins, the better person we are. If you don't see your sin, that's some of the worst people. That's self-righteousness when you can't see yourself down there on the ground with the other people. That may catch hold later on. Let me pass on. Don't look like I'm getting through on that one. Perhaps the most damaging of all sins is to be conscious of no sin. That was the lay of the sin. It wasn't conscious. 
that's why it's an old friend of mine that used to, not a friend, but a former minister that was here. And I was going to go by his house. He's a real old man, and he's, he's real old. Now he's in his 80s or whatever. But I don't go by or whatever because he's kind of self-righteous or self-centered. He's not aware of his sin. He's not aware of who he is. Bad as I want to talk to him or be, but it just will cause a problem. Some people just go die that way. The supreme lesson in this little story here is that the woman's attitude not only resulted in forgiveness, but also played a major role in producing gratitude and her loving devotion for Jesus Christ. And that's parable of that lesson is told throughout today, a memorial unto her because she didn't cease from weeping and crying and washing the Savior's feet from the moment that he entered Jesus' house. I mean, from the moment she entered the Pharisee's house. But the Pharisee, Jesus said, you offer me no water, nobody to wash my feet, these other things or whatever, but look what this woman has done. That she had that need. And so she wanted forgiveness, and that's what I said. When you <coughs> hunger for Christ, those are the ones that's going to be filled. Those are the ones that have an attitude of forgiving others in an attitude that they need to be forgiven so they should work, but it's not a work, how can I say this? It's not a work that brings them to salvation. It's a work because they are saved. It's because of salvation. This didn't save her, but it was representative of a state of mind, an attitude of a humble mind of a person that is forgiven. That's why Jesus forgave her because of her attitude, a state of mind. It's, and only God can see your attitude and state of mind and know your motives and desires and can see your remorse or your contrition. That's what God sees. That's why I say everything is God. That's why Jesus says, for the sin on my right hand and my left is not for me to give. See the Father. God sees all and knows all. That's why he says, pray to Father. Pray to the Father. He's sitting up there. Ask him in my name and he'll give you anything. Okay, but just because we asked in, G in Jesus' name does not obligate the Father to give that to us. The Father gives it to who he will. And he, he has reasons for doing everything he does. God is not capricious. Things don't just happen. He's just not just up there doing something. God is a rational reason. That's why we're trying to be like God. With his wisdom and knowledge and his operation. Heavenly Fathers, we come before.